amazing person I stumbled upon at the chiropractor's office. And he, he was an engineer and a martial artist and a, and, a, and a scientist and had injured himself. And because of his background in movement, he found a way to rehabilitate himself through using movement. So that's kind of how the method began. But his aim was to help people use movement to be able to do what you want in life. And his, uh, the name of what he did, he called awareness through movement, not awareness of movement, mm -hmm. not movement awareness, but awareness through movement. So he was already looking at this idea of how do you pay attention to yourself as you move and how will that bring you greater awareness? Mm -hmm. And he felt that that awareness would allow us to begin to learn how to do what we want. So that was his aim. And over, you know, the course of the last 30 years, I've worked with, you know, thousands of people and it's been really wonderful. But as I continued my studies, I started to feel like I needed to fill in gaps. And one of those gaps was, you know, this emotional component. What if you were the living embodiment of all pervasive peace? What if all sentient beings all around you increase their vibration towards harmony by merely being in your contact? What if through conscious reasoning, focused will, and intentional living, you reform yourself, thereby becoming a catalyst in sparking transformation in others? I'm Shilpa Lewis, meditation, mindset, and mindfulness coach for midlife mompreneurs. And you are listening to Omnipresent Awareness, the podcast that will inspire you to use your story to serve humanity in not just healing, but thriving as souls, each fulfilling their highest purpose. Namaste. Thanks for tuning in to Omnipresent Awareness. This is your host, Shilpa Lewis, and welcome back. Okay, so I'm running a little challenge as I'm trying to get more people to discover this podcast and the conversations that inspire those who value personal growth. And the best way to do that is to leave reviews. You can leave a review on Spotify, Google Podcast, or Apple Podcast. So here is a little request from me to you. If you feel like you have received any value at all from these episodes, then please write a little review and take a screenshot of your review. Once you've done that, email that screenshot to me at omnimindfulness at gmail.com. Once I get your screenshot, you will receive one of my infographics. Spark your meditation practice through Sankalpa. Sankalpa is the Sanskrit word for intention setting. Along with this, you will receive a link to my guided meditation where you can daily practice intention setting with some inspirational music and breath work. This infographic, along with the guided meditation, is guaranteed to have you start your practice for meditation with a spark. It is my gift for you for being a listener, being a supporter, and of course, for you to be able to manifest the best meditation practice. 
So thank you for showing up, listening, and being inspired, and most importantly, taking action. I appreciate you. So again, please don't forget to take a screenshot of your review and send it to omnimindfulness at gmail.com and I will send you that infographic and the link to the guided meditation. We are now in the season of Seeds of Abundance, which is our third podcast season honoring spring, new mindsets, and abundance. The season will cover mindful money mindset movement and healing, law of attraction, and embracing the feminine energy. And up next, Lavinia Plonka. I had the pleasure of attending her session at the Somatic Movement Summit. And in her session called Connecting Movement and Emotion for Increased Flexibility, Vitality, and Poise, I walked away with so many insights, including how you move is how you move through life. Holistically, this movement impacts your posture, your breath, and your face tells everyone your story. And it sends your nervous system continual feedback. After I learned this, I knew I needed to reach out so I can have a deeper conversation with Lavinia. Body language expert Lavinia has helped Many people improve their movement, behavior, and relationship and careers for over 40 years. Her unique expertise connects the dots among posture, movement, emotions, and the mind. She is the founder of Kinesia, a movement learning process that synthesizes somatic movement with the emotions and the spirit. She is launching a certification training with the Shift Network this fall around this specific teaching. Lavinia's training and professional career have included theater, dance, yoga, and martial arts. She has taught the Feldenkrais Method for 30 years and is also an assistant trainer. Lavinia is a level CL4 teacher of the ALBA Method and an emotional body instructor. She was an artist in residence for the Guggenheim Museum and movement consultant for theater and television companies around the world, from the Irish National Folk Theater to Nickelodeon. She is currently the director of Asheville Movement Center in Asheville, North Carolina. Lavinia's writing includes several books and audio programs. She is a dynamic personality, and I am so excited to have you listen to our conversation. And now, my conversation with Lavinia. Lavinia, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so honored. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you. I virtually met you through the Somatic Summit, where you offered lovely training and gave me insights into something I really didn't know anything about. So perhaps we can start from there. Oh, isn't it wonderful to, to think, oh, I've lived this long, and then I stumble upon something I never heard of or didn't even know existed. And actually, that's what happened to me when I, when I discovered the Feldenkrais Method. You know, all those many, many years ago, um, I was 
suffering from chronic back pain and had tried a gazillion different things and stumbled across Moshe Feldenkrais's name in a magazine article at the chiropractor's office. And I had never heard of it. I knew nothing about it. And when I started to talk about it, all my friends knew about it. And they were like, oh yeah, Feldenkrais. Oh yeah. And I was like, where was I? What rock was I living under? And then when I started to do the work and realized not only did it help my pain, but it helped me uncover some of the sources of my pain. It was like, you know, obviously a life transforming thing of like, wow, you can use movement to heal your life. What a concept. So, well, Absolutely. Coming from more of like the ancient Indian background where I learned about the chi, the prana, it's mm-hmm. beginning to make more sense that when you move, the energy moves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the energy that we work with in Feldenkrais and in my work that I've been developing, which I call Kinesa, we can talk about that later. uh, The energy is the quality of attention that I pay to what's taking place inside of me. You can actually, if you really give yourself that loving attention to how does my arm move? What am I feeling in my shoulder? you can begin to feel something that I think is very related to these um, ideas of prana and chi, for sure. Absolutely. Giving attention to what is happening is something that I've begun to do, particularly since the somatic event. I Uh felt like there is over and over that message that there's more information inside your body. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Huge amounts. I mean, you could spend a lifetime studying your body. It is so intricate. Yeah. And the energetic body and the physical body and all those um, nuances are things that I think it's becoming more somewhat mainstream in the sense like, yes, people are aware of it, but I feel like the somatic event brought to light that people are aware of the need to heal through different methods Mm-hmm, for sure. And some of the methods that were brought up at the summit, could you share uh, what you had offered during the summit? Because I know you had done an exercise as well, or sort of a virtual workshop. Well, yeah, I gave uh, sort of like a mini teaching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for about 30 years, I've taught as a Feldenkrais practitioner. So let me give a little bit of background on the Feldenkrais method first. Absolutely. So, you know, so the Feldenkrais method was developed by Moshe Feldenkrais, this amazing person I stumbled upon at the chiropractor's office. And he, he was an engineer and a martial artist and a, and, a, and a scientist and had injured himself. And because of his background in movement, he found a way to rehabilitate himself through using movement. So that's kind of how the method began. But his aim was to help people use movement to be able to do what you want in life. And his, uh, the name of what he did, he called awareness through movement. Not awareness of movement, mm-hmm. not movement awareness, but awareness through movement. So he was already looking at this idea of how do you pay attention to yourself as you move and how will that bring you greater awareness? And he felt that that awareness would allow us to begin to learn how to do what we want. So that was his aim. And over, you know, the course of the last 30 years, I've worked with, you know, thousands of people and it's been really wonderful. 
But as I continued my studies, I started to feel like I needed to fill in gaps. And one of those gaps was, you know, this emotional component that comes up when we become aware of our habits or our tensions or our movements, we start to realize that we're carrying stories, we're carrying emotions, we're, we're um, you know, that, that we don't necessarily, we can't name right away. And so that set me off on, you know, a whole lot of other research and training and understanding body language and understanding the patterns that we carry physically. And then it just kept on expanding. Right. To, to what I'm developing now, but to go back to the summit, what I offered was a, a lesson on the shoulders and the neck, just the idea of the shoulders and the neck using Feldenkrais-based movements, but bringing it into the stories that we carry in our shoulders. Because, you know, our shoulders are, um, you, there was this one great teacher in the 19th century who called our shoulders the thermometers of the passions. Because where your shoulders are, tell people how you're feeling or what you're holding, right? So when you're laughing like crazy and your shoulders are just going, they're free, they're expressing, they're letting your arms communicate. And when you're just holding yourself together, it's like your shoulders want to tell people how angry you are, but you don't tell anybody, so they get stuck there. So I used the, the somatic process of moving your shoulders and freeing your shoulders and connecting it to your spine and to the expression of your arms so that people would have kind of like a, a multidimensional experience, emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, all at the same time. And that's kind of where I've been going with my work. I really have, you know, this deep gratitude and appreciation for everything I learned from the Feldenkrais Method. And now I feel with Kinesa that I'm able to take that and go further. Because in, along with that, over all these years, I've had a very, you know, deep spiritual practice, spiritual curiosity, trying to learn more. And, you know, many spiritual practices have movement in them. And it's like, well, why do certain cultures bow a lot? Why do we all put our hands together in prayer? Why do some cultures spin or kneel? And is there something physiological that's connected to that? So that's what I've put together. And that's, I just kind of scratched the surface at the summit, but that's okay. kind of where I'm going. <laughs> well, um, immediately what came to mind was when I studied yoga, I have a, have a certification in yoga and just the mudras of the hands. Absolutely. And initially, which I should be ashamed being an Indian woman, but I, I didn't even go deeper until it was much later. And mm -hmm. I would be like, okay, well, this means something and sending a signal to your brain. It's sending another signal through your chakras. That's correct. And, and the mudras are a beautiful example because, you know, not only are they, you know, your hands, your hands are where the meridians end, right? The energy centers end. When you're bringing your fingers together in different ways, you're actually connecting certain energies mm -hmm. going into the uh, motor cortex and the sensory cortex of your brain. Yes. Um, I mean, again, everything is connected. When you speak uh, of Indian tradition, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the rasas, the, the you know, the, the different expressions in um, like Bharatanatyam and Katakali. And so, you know, those rasas were kind of developed by 
uh, what was his name? It was Bharata, wasn't it? Um, in the Natya Shastra, I think yes. it was the sage Bharata who yes. came up with all of these rasas, which were the nine types of emotional expression. And those nine types of emotional expression can be seen today in the research of, you know, people like Paul Ekman and Susanna Block. I mean, they're not all exactly the same, but man, some of the similarities are right there. And that was all based on intuition. It wasn't based on, you know, neuroscience and monitors and things like that. So ancient stuff is, research, right? Like, yeah. Ancient, research. ancient material is coming in with modern science. And I find that really exciting. Yeah, just the other day I was talking to someone and just the mystics, the stories and those stories across the world, there's con they're connected. They're almost parallel. Mm -hmm. they, they tell stories of movement and healing. And like you were saying, just the entire body and what the facial expressions and hands are doing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So um, if you could share with us anything that an audience would need to know what what is somatic because that is something that so my background when I got when I received my meditation training one of the things we went deep into was pain body and I'm like a researcher at heart so I'm like well what is this pain body mm -hmm. and I, I keep hearing this word so I studied up on it and I'm like well I need to go deeper and that's where somatic started showing up in my research mm -hmm. and then lo and behold there was a summit over it <laughs> so you know the the greek word and it's interesting because of course there's an indian word soma yeah. right and there's also uh the word soma in aldous huxley's book brave new world mm -hmm. right so soma is all over the place but the greek word for soma is the body right soma is the body mm -hmm. and so somewhere along probably in the 1940s, 1950s, when these different forms of movement education or embodiment practice came in, people started to use somatic as the word that relates to movement intelligence, movement education, uh, using movement in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have the full range now where, you know, something like somatic experiencing is actually a form of psychotherapy that uh, introduces exploration of the body mm -hmm. all the way to, you know, people call Pilates a somatic process. And yet to other people, Pilates is just exercise. It's just exercising the body. But Pilates people say, well, because you're putting attention to what you're doing, it makes it a somatic experience. So, you know, I, I was with some colleagues, uh, couple of years ago having a discussion about this and somebody said, oh, well, you know, somatic is just the flavor of the month. Pretty soon we're going to have somatic ice cream. People are using the word somatic like, you know, that. But to me, it's using the body to develop your intelligence. So, and, and, you know, when I say body, it's crazy because it's like, well, everything is my body, you know, your mind doesn't live out there somewhere. Your mind is in your body. So, so everything is somatic, if you look at it from that perspective. And uh, we could even go deeper in terms of the body, the physical body or the energetic body and the different, and that goes more into more, I would say, 
how the Hindus perceive the different layers, but I still feel there's something there. I do Qigong every morning, and when I do it with a lot of attention and focus, there's this level of energy that I feel around me. I'm so glad you brought that up because actually, you know, that is one of the sort of pillars of Kinesa. I actually have created a system that looks at seven bodies. So there's the physical, as you mentioned, the emotional body, because you are an emotional body. Every moment you're expressing something, right? The mental body. So, and, and of course, there are other traditions that actually speak of these bodies like out here somewhere, but, you know, beyond our physical sense. But I like to think that they all interpenetrate with each other. There's the creative body because you're creating your reality in every second and how you're choosing to act and how you're choosing to respond is a creative act. So there's the creative body. And I call those four the visible bodies. And then I have three others that I call beyond the visible. And that's your energetic body, as, as we spoke about, um, which involves the chakras, the dantians, the, uh, all the different ways that you can look at how energy flows from all the different traditions. There's the archetypal body, which most people don't really think about. We have a tendency to just go, oh, archetype, you know, he's a Peter Pan or she's a manipulator. But that to me, a real archetype in the body is one that embodies a particular archetype. And in my teaching, I have four, four archetypes that I consider to be the meta archetypes of who we wanna be in the world. And then finally, the alchemical body. So how things transform within us, how we can change and metamorphose into whoever it is we want to be. So those are my seven bodies and your seven bodies. Yeah, absolutely. From my notes, when I attended your uh, sessions, I wrote down four archetypes. I've always been fascinated with the concept of archetypes and tying that into how can I recognize where I'm at now? Mm -hmm. And if I want to go from here to there and help a client go from here to there for a transformation, what is it that they need to become aware of as mm -hmm. their archetype? Mm -hmm. So do you think a person is one archetype? And could you give us an example? Um, I think that we're, you know, like Carolyn Mace, I think we're, we're shifting through archetypes all the time. But I'm not interested in sort of trying to name or label a person according to an archetype. Yeah. I'm much more interested in looking at these particular archetypes. And maybe I'll expand into others. But these four particular archetypes to me are um, representations of something powerful in our, you know, you could say in our DNA, in our collective unconscious, in our mythology, there, you know, I'll tell you what, to me, it's the warrior, the teacher, the healer, and the visionary. That, that at their finest, these archetypes are who we want to be in the world, who we want to, you know, when I need to step up and get something done, I need to bring my warrior forward. When I need to listen to someone with compassion and respond with love, I need to bring my teacher in. So to me, it's like, how do I use the physical understanding of how these archetypes show up in the world 
in order to bring them out when I need them. It's not about that I'm at the mercy of an archetype, but can I pull my visionary out to see what needs to be done to create this vision that, that I have? Right? I'm so, so glad you said that because I do not like to think that I am preordained some destiny and I have no control. It would be nice to know that I'm aware, cognizant. Well, and that I have choice. To me, it's all about choice. But, you know, like, for example, I taught a course for the shift um, on the archetypes. And um, there were several, you know, a lot of women attend shift courses. And there were women who resisted the idea of the warrior. They were like, oh, I don't like conflict. I don't, I don't want to be a warrior. I like to stay away from that. And I'm like, hey, that's not, that's not just what a warrior is. There's so much more to feeling the energy, the center of presence of the warrior is the pelvis, that power that we carry in, in our first and second chakras, in that, in that ability to be able to enact things. And what was really interesting is, um, like one student wrote how she had always hated the idea of any kind of conflict or warrior ideas, and then she was in a situation where she realized that she was just being manipulated. And all she did was come into her power center, feeling her pelvis, grounding herself. She said it wasn't like she tried to fight or anything, but she was the warrior and she got what she needed. And that was her like aha moment of like, oh, I don't have to fight to be a warrior. I just have to find my power or find my way of healing myself for the healer or whatever it is. And, and, and that to me is... It's just so great to realize that you have the tools within yourself. You just have to know how to access them. You know, and if it wasn't for developing better awareness over the course of my lifetime, I feel like I wouldn't have been in tune with what you're saying now. But it's because I've learned some things along the way. And now I recognize, well, this is the moment where I need to be grounded. I'm My energy can't shift or be... Um, I, I can't lose my cool. It's, it's sometimes I do. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's, like, that's, that's where the kryptonite of the warrior comes in, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and then the warrior in me comes out. Like you said, a woman being manipulated or um, I'm a very protective mother. The, the warrior will come out at times. Right. But yeah, that makes sense. And another thing you brought up that was fascinating, when you described the different bodies, the chemical body, it's something... I've been tuning into is more Ayurvedic approaches to nutrition. And um, obviously I was raised with it because it, being an Indian, but again, I want to give that to my clients and I'm tuning into the idea that vitality comes from the quality of the nutrition, what we're feeding into our body, the prana. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's tied to the chemical body, how you're affecting well, it. It's interesting because I said, alchemical alchemical oh i'm so sorry <laughs> but i love what you just said that's such a cool idea you know just this idea of how do i feed myself yeah. what do i take into myself and how does that influence all of my bodies exactly. right so i speak a lot we you know the the uh kinesa has seven principles and one of them is the breath that we work with the breath mm -hmm. and we work with the breath as a form of nourishment as a form of energy because, you know, you can live without food for weeks, you can live without water for days, but you can't live without breathing for more than a couple of minutes. So what 
what are we receiving? How are we trans, you know, so the, from the alchemical perspective, it's like, how am I transforming the energy of the prana or whatever it is that's coming in, in order to manifest in this sphere, right? right. So the breath is key. The breath is key for, you know, what emotion I'm expressing, for what archetype I'm manifesting. The breath is key for all of that. I could not agree more. Um, as I was preparing for our call, I was doing a little bit of research and I thought, where, where do I um, frame? How do I frame movement? And I ended up coming up with a list, not just the techniques that I've learned about, but overall, where how does the energy move? And breath work came into mind, prana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is a technique. Um, so when I attended your your session there's so many nuggets and i wanted to bring some of those up one of them you mentioned that connect breath and movement and maybe my notes aren't quite <laughs> um linear but it says something about vicious circle and the mind trap and is is there something that you feel they're they're connected do you recalibrate your mind or your body through the breath Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, because every, again, every emotion has its particular breath pattern. Yes. And, and again, that's from ancient Indian <laughs> stuff too, but you know, now science is saying, oh yes, that's true. And so if a person has certain habitual breath patterns, no matter how much you try to work on yourself, you're going to trigger yourself into habitual emotions. So I don't know if that's the part that I was talking about at the time, but by understanding what your breath pattern is, you can catch yourself, right? So we all have different habitual, like for example, I was just working with somebody earlier today who was filled with rage and she was talking about things that had gone wrong, but with everything that went wrong, she went, <laughs> and then she would talk about how angry she was and she would laugh again. And I was like, What's going on there? And what she was doing was she was, she was not allowing her anger to manifest and clear because she was raised in, an, in a world where she was not allowed to be angry. So she would take the anger and turn it into laughter. And it was, you know, so we worked on the breath. We worked on calming the breath so that she could come in touch with, and then what happened was she got very sad and she realized that underneath all of it was this deep grief at never having been able to express herself. So just from working with the breath, we went through this whole process of coming to a truth that was in her body. So, you know, to me, and, and that's not even working in training. So, you know, when we, when we actually train ourselves, to understand these, it's, it's even more powerful. Um, you know, and again, we all have habitual things we do. Uh, for example, I, I was one of those people that was very in touch with my rage from my childhood. And it took me a really long time to recognize that some of the ways that I took things in before I could even respond and really listen to someone, I would already in my mind think, oh, they're criticizing me. I have to defend myself. And my face would change. 
and my breath would change. And then they'd go, what's wrong with you? Why are you angry at me? And I'd be like, I'm not angry. You know, <laughs> and it took me a while to realize, oh yeah, I'm, I, I might say I'm not angry, but I looked angry because I didn't have a, a connection between what was manifesting and what I thought I was communicating. So to me, learning the breath pattern of anger actually helped me understand my own anger. So that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think is just so cool. It is fascinating. I, even though I've learning continually, as we talked about continuous learner right. um, and refining my skills in breath work, it's often a process where I'll catch myself and then I'll remind myself, okay, Shilpa, put your hand on your belly <laughs> and take some deep breaths, so especially at night when I'm trying to slow down mm-hmm. and I'm in bed and I'm trying to do some yoga nidra, just mm-hmm. really slow the mind. It works, but mm-hmm. I just have to remind myself. We always forget the thing that's the most important <laughs> for our well-being. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people, given them meditations or exercises that they're like, oh, yeah, this is very helpful. And then I see them in a, again and I'll say, oh, well, did you get a chance to do that? Oh, I forgot, <laughs> you know, because the, the body doesn't want to change. No. You know, the nervous system wants to keep things as they are, even if it sucks. So, you know, so to be able to interrupt my habitual pattern by doing something like a meditation or a practice, it, it takes a little bit of work because, you know, the, the system will resist. We resist change. Mm -hmm. We resist change. We resist change, even in meditation. And somewhere in my notes, there was something you had brought up about habits and breaking those habits Mm -hmm. for new patterns. Mm -hmm. But the resistance that is really frustrating. <laughs> Perhaps you can share with our audience um, one tip for those who would like to become more aware of how they can heal their body through movement and start small. So <clears throat> I, there's, there's so many di- different definitions of starting small. And it's interesting with somatic movement, we literally do small movements and we don't push ourselves. In other words, you know, unlike no pain, no gain, we think less pain, more gain. The idea that pain is information. And if you're doing something that hurts you, then if you do more of it, it's going to hurt you more. So instead, we use pain as feedback to tell us to, you know, well, you should cut back here. You should rest. You should take your time. And through that process, you're informing your nervous system on new possibilities, new ways of using yourself that maybe are more efficient or, um, or more pleasant. So, uh, you know, since we were talking about the shoulders, let's do an example of the shoulders. So if you sense your whole shoulder neck area right now, you can close your eyes if you want to, because um, I'm not really going to do anything earth shaking. <laughs> And, and most people, you know, maybe they sense uh, the, the distance of their shoulders from their ears, or you might sense something about what's happening in, in your shoulder blades, but just taking a, sen- a moment to just kind of feel that area, almost as if you are tuning into a part of yourself that's usually invisible. And we're going to do a movement that might seem counterintuitive when people try to relax their shoulders, they usually try to force them down. 
And what I'd like to invite you to do instead is to pick one shoulder, it doesn't matter which one, and very slowly begin raising it, very slowly, you know, feeling like you're doing it in super slow motion, raising it up in the direction of your ear. And notice your breathing as you're raising your shoulder and see if you can keep your breathing staying normal, even though your shoulder is going up higher and higher. And then very slowly let it come down. That's good. And then repeat that, slowly raising your shoulder. And as you're raising your shoulder now, you can expand your field of awareness to notice what your shoulder blade does, what you're feeling in your ribs on your right side, just your right shoulder. Stick with the same shoulder for a few minutes. Stick with the same shoulder so that you can really feel the effects. And then letting that shoulder come down one more time, super slow, right? What we're doing when we're raising the shoulder is we're actually supporting the habit that you already have. We're giving your brain new ideas about the shoulder. And then one more time, raise it up, but this time hold it there. Keep it up in the air, stay with it, breathe. Notice what you feel emotionally, physically, mentally, and then slowly, slowly, slowly lower your shoulder. Let it all the way down. And then just notice if that shoulder feels different than the other shoulder. What'd I you feel? Warm, I feel some warm rush. Okay. Yeah. And I almost felt like I sensed tightness that I hadn't really noticed before. Mm-hmm. And do you notice that the shoulder is a little bit lower now than the left shoulder? Yeah. Yes. And it feels, it feels like there's more energy in that area now. So, so when it lets go a little bit, then it allows that energy to flow through that area. So, you know, just imagine you can do this or different kinds of movements with every part of yourself. I mean, this was just a little tiny two minute thing, but there are ways that you can come in touch with your habitual patterns. You can improve your movement just by looking at yourself in a different way. So instead of trying to fix yourself, make that shoulder go down by talking to your shoulder and going, okay, I understand you want to be up in the air. So here, I'll help you. I'll help you go up in the air. Go up in the air as much as you want. Go ahead. And then it itself makes the choice to reorganize, to find its place. And that's to me, you know, in a nutshell, what we do with somatic wisdom. We listen to the body we give it choices, we interrupt our habitual pattern, and we rest. And that process is what helps us begin to become more organized as human beings, as uh, how we move. You know, I often say how you move is how you move through life. So, you know, you walk down the street, a friend of yours who hasn't seen you in 10 years could recognize you from behind a block away, right? Just by the way you walk. It's like, oh, there goes Shilpa. You know, they'll know because you've taken your habitual patterns and made them uniquely yours. And so, you know, that's, that's the interesting part about this work. Absolutely. So. And especially, I would say, uh, for those who have been in front of a computer <laughs> for years, that is a part of our 
physique that often gets very tied to mm -hmm. habits. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, thank Definitely. you. Perhaps one last description you could provide us with your upcoming course and certification. So I, I have been privileged to be asked by the SHIFT Network to create an actual certification training in Kinesa. And so we're going to start with a seven-week course that starts in July to give people an introduction to the seven bodies and how we use movement to begin to bring this uh, experience of physical, mental, emotional well-being and how that connects up with our other bodies. And then in November, we're launching a one-year certification training where people can do a deep dive, a six-month deep dive immersion into all of these bodies and learn all of the different processes that are involved in that, or go further and become a Kinesa practitioner in a one-year certification training where we actually will train people to begin to integrate these ideas and practices into their professions, which um, I'm super excited about. And um, they can find out about all of it just simply by going to the Shift Network, theshiftnetwork.com, and put in my name. It'll be all over the place there. Um, so I, I hope that people check it out because I really feel, and I've been, I've been saying this several times, I really feel like we're at a point in, in the history of the world in a way where we're reconnecting with the power of our physical, mental, emotional selves. We're not just heads walking around mechanically moving our bodies. We're trying to become more embodied so that we can act with more authority in the world. And this is one way to do it by beginning to take ownership of all your parts, <laughs> all of your bodies. And ownership overall, I would say holistically of your well-being. It's not just about healing, which is a very retroactive approach to continually pass this to the next generation. Right. And I love what you just said because, you know, uh, Moshe Feldenkrais talked about health and, you know, that most people's definition of health is not being sick. But his definition of health was to have the ability and resources to recover. Yes. And so to me, that is just so important is, you know, we're all going to get knocked upside the head at one point or another. And a healthy person will be able to pick themselves back up. And that's definitely part of the Kinesa training. One of the, one, one of the sections we have is all about resilience and recovery. So um, anyway, there's so much there and you can learn about it when you go to their website. Absolutely. And the show notes will also include any details for your website and your coursework. Well, thank you so right. much. It was a pleasure to have you here. I learned so much thank and you. I look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Likewise, I look forward to seeing you too. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in. Check out the links in the description and please subscribe, follow, and share. And continue to be omnipresent.